0: Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, Philippians 4. Over the course of my ministry, a a couple of times I've had uh, the opportunity to speak at a a baccalaureate service. Do they have those anymore? Too bad. (laughs) And... uh, As I was uh, preparing this message, uh, uh, and they were both high school graduation baccalaureates, and I knew that this was graduation Sunday, I wished that on one of those occasions, I had chosen this passage uh, to speak to those who were graduating. Uh, it, it, It really applies But not only to them, this applies to whatever stage or phase of life you are in. Uh, This is an an essential aspect of the gospel and the word of God uh, to grasp. So uh, let's stand for the reading of God's word. The secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we would pray now that in these moments, your Holy Spirit would open our minds and our hearts, our very lives, to be taught by him what you have for us in this passage, in your word, that is so precious, so needful for us, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. When we lived in Atlanta, that's been some years ago now, Evander Holyfield lived within a couple of miles of our church. And he was the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. At one point... One of my kids went bowling. I don't know if this was Benji or, or not. Uh, and Evander Holyfield was at the bowling alley. Now I don't know why he was there in public, because he had a bowling alley in his home. <laughs> but there he was. He liked to bowl, and uh, whichever one of our our kids it was, actually went over to him and asked for an autograph. And he was gracious enough to give an autograph to them. Uh, The autograph, when it was brought home, it said, Evander Holyfield," Philippians 4.13. He always did that. I've seen other autographs where he did that. On the night when he defeated Mike Tyson to win his third heavyweight championship, he entered the arena with a robe on and with his trunks, and both of them were emblazoned with Philippians 4.13. Not the verse itself, but the reference. The verse, of course, we just read, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now evidently, and I'm going to tell you why I, I believe this, He displayed those because he thought he could beat Mike Tyson through Christ who strengthened him. He said this, with God on your side, this was in an interview afterwards, the things you choose to do, you can do. That was how he used the verse a little more up-to-date, Steph Curry. Some call him maybe the greatest shooter uh, that the National Basketball Association has ever had. Uh, He has it, that verse reference, on his shoes. This is what he said. It's a mantra that I live by and something that drives me every single day it'll hopefully inspire people to find something that drives them whether that's a verse or some other motivating force that keeps you hungry and keeps you driven that's mine and you can pick whatever yours is and let that drive you too as you continue with basketball or whatever field you are in in your life and then for you football fans of course there's Tim Tebow who uh won the Heisman, some say he was one of the greatest college players ever. And on the, the the black tape under his eyes, that's what he often displayed. Philippians 4 13. Now my goal today is not to quarrel with these amazing athletes or to question their. Their sincerity, or to question uh, their Christian walk, or anything along those lines. But if we think that applying that verse is the key, and it is the way that we can achieve these things we are missing the greatest blessing of that verse. Let me explain. I could have Philippians 4.13 all over my clothing and get in the boxing ring with Evander Holofield. I could have it tattooed right here. And even him at age 58 he could knock my head off. So what happens if two boxers go into the same <laughs> ring and they both have Philippians 4.13? Who wins? How do you determine that? And here's the reality. If Holefield didn't even win all of his matches even when he had that on his robe and his trunks. So how are we to understand that verse? How does it apply? What's a proper application? What is the real blessing of it if it doesn't really work that way? Well, as as we say so often, context is king, and that is that Uh, The way we will understand that verse is by looking at the verses around it, by looking at its greater context. So the first thing I want us to see is that it is possible to be content with any of life's circumstances. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content now, how are we going to understand that, that word content here? It literally means self-sufficient. It was one of the favorite words of the Stoics of that day, the Stoic philosophy. Now, the Stoic philosophy was basically that uh, whatever comes at you in life, you just you dig down deep, And you don't let it affect you. You don't get anxious about it. You don't worry about it. You don't fret. You don't even react. Some of you might have even been raised that way. Come on. Get up. You're not hurt. (laughs) I said that a few times myself to, (laughs) to, to my boys. But some of you really were raised with that as your understanding that that when when something tough comes my way, I, I've, I've got to just dig down deep. And and yeah, it'll be hard, but but I'm strong enough if I if I dig down deep. Now, let me clarify. Paul uses that word, but he doesn't use it the way the Stoics did. So Why does he use that word content that to them meant self-sufficiency? Why does he use that? We're working our way toward that. But look at what else he says here. He says that it's something that must be learned. For I have learned, verse 11, in whatever situation I am, to be content. Now, contentment for most people in uh, this world, for most of mankind, uh, just does not come naturally. Uh, there are exceptions. There are some children who are born and from the very beginning of their lives, uh, they're just happy to be on board. You know, everything's fine. Uh, our, our, our youngest was, was that way Abby would be dragged from the soccer field. She had three older siblings in sports. from the soccer field to the gym where the wrestling match is going on to the gym where the volleyball is going on. And she was happy wherever we plopped her down. She'd make little friends and everything was fine. But you know what? Most people aren't that way. Um, You think about it. Most children, in fact, the moment something is wrong, they're going to let you know, aren't they? You don't have to teach them that. They let you know. And some people never outgrow that. Well, Paul says, yeah, he, he admits. He said, it's something I had to learn. And we know because we know a lot of what Paul faced in his life, a lot of the trials and tribulations uh, that he went through, we know he had to learn it the hard way. And that's what he says. And with that learning, it usually takes time. And I don't know about you, but I wish things didn't take so much time. I saw an ad for a weekend seminar, and I wrote this down. This was some ago, so it's not something you can attend around here, uh, the weekend seminar, and they said this, we believe you will witness the power of the word and the power of the spirit coming together, doesn't that sound great so far? We believe you will witness the power of the word and the power of the spirit coming together to do a quick work of righteousness in your life. I would like a quick work of righteousness. I, I was tempted to sign up for that myself. But most things that God does is not quick. And it is seldom quick enough for me, for my taste. It's usually slow and over time and sometimes painful and sometimes difficult. And notice, even Paul here is honest enough to teach them uh, this ideal that he's talking about, of, about contentment, without claiming that he was always content himself. He said, I should be content. Here's how he, exactly how he said it. I am to be content. In other words, that's what I strive for. When I go through these things, he didn't say, yeah, I'm always content every single time. What he says is, I am to be content. So he knows that that's the standard. That's what, what he aims for. But he also understands that that's a process to get to that point. And then he, he says, uh, in whatever situation, verse 11, I've learned, uh, I have learned in every, whatever situation I am to be content. Now remember... This is context also. Paul wrote this from prison. This wasn't theoretical for him. No one could say, well, yeah, of course. Look at Paul. He's living the good life. Everything's going so smooth for him. Of course he's content. He is writing from prison. And he says, this is something that I've had to learn. Whatever my circumstance. Verse 12, in any and every circumstance. He says, I I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So which of those circumstances are harder to be content in when you've got plenty or need. I think most people would think, well, that's obvious. When you got plenty, that's when it's easier to be content. Well, let's see what the Bible says about that. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Paul expresses the difficulty and the temptations to greed when you have what you want. In other words, the temptation is, okay, if I have what I I need, I'd be content if I had just a little bit more. Just a little bit more, and when you receive that, it's a little bit more that you need. Or for some, it's a, it's a, a relationship thing. Well, I'd, I'd be content if I, if I got married. Or I'd be content if I only had a child or another child. <clears throat> or if I wasn't married. The temptations are wherever you are that some other circumstance will end up making you content. And if you're not content where you are, you won't be because of another circumstance. Because those, all circumstances, are temporary. Proverbs 30, the the one who wrote Proverbs uh, understood this, and and listen to what his prayer is to God. He asked for neither plenty or want. He says, remove from me, this is Proverbs 30, verse 8, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. See, he's asking for neither poverty nor riches. Uh, but the food that is needful for me, lest I be full, in other words, have extra, and deny you and say, who is the Lord? You see what he's saying? I'm afraid if I get too much, then I'll forget that I need to ask you for my daily bread because I'll think I am self-sufficient. I don't need you. Or lest I be poor, and steal and profane the name of my God. Do you see, when we're looking at circumstances, when we think that's where our happiness and contentment is, we will never be there, ever. So, he talks about a secret here of contentment. In my outline, I put the secret that's not a secret, because he tells what the secret is. He says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Do you see how different that use now of that verse is than how it is often used? A lot of commentators have written that this may be the most misinterpreted verse in the New Testament, and I think part of it is because some do use it uh, uh, in in a, a misusing way. All things, really? so I can be world champion boxer, so I can win the Heisman Trophy, so I can be uh, the, the best scorer in the NBA ever, if only I believe? That's not it, is it? Because that's not what it is. It's not an incantation. It's not a good luck charm. It's not just a mantra. It's not just positive thinking. If I I do this, then I can get the best out of myself. So what does it mean? Remember that I said that uh, that word contentment was a favorite of the Stoics. And I said, Paul's using that, but not in the same way. What he did is he actually co-opted that word back from them. So people would have been thinking uh, self-sufficiency, but what Paul is talking about here is not self-sufficiency, but Christ-sufficiency. You see the difference? Absolute difference. It's about our union with Christ, If one is trusting in Christ alone for our eternal life, the scripture tells us that he lives within us. And so rather than say, whatever is coming at me, I'm strong enough and I can, or I can ignore it or I can get through this. Everyone comes to the end of their own strength. But Christ doesn't. And that's what this is saying. Our union with Christ is the key. I can get through this because of Christ. If he has for me the very thing I would choose for myself, if he gives me every dream, I can face that and not be discontent. But if for my life he gives me the exact opposite Of what I would have hoped for. What I'm striving for. Because he dwells in me. I can do this. Because I am strengthened by him. Not in my own strength. So the secret. Well I read you Philippians 4.13. But he had already earlier in the book given the secret. We looked at a few weeks ago in in Philippians 3, 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That's the secret. That's not a secret. And that is the bottom line is that it is not about, and it is never about our circumstances. It is about the strength of Christ. But to get there, Christ must be our central treasure. It's got to be all about Christ. When he and not our circumstances become our sufficiency. When he and our relationship with him becomes our contentment. Then we're able to go through these things in life. The good things, as he said, and the difficult Things That means we can endure the great and plentiful times. But we can also endure if our marriage falls apart. Or when we get the, the cancer diagnosis. Or when we lose one we love. And as precious of a treasure a good marriage is, or our health is, Or those we love are, Christ must be our central treasure. If He is, we can do this in His strength. We can do it in Him. Let's bow together. Lord, our our temptation will be in just a few minutes when we leave here to go back to relying on our own strength. The evil one would love for us to do that. Will you, by your Spirit, enable those who are trusting in him alone to do that with every moment and for him to be our greatest treasure? We ask for this in his precious name. Amen.